chapter 1, we'll read the first three verses, and then we'll get the Bible study underway tonight as we look at uh, a bird's eye view of the book of Hosea here. And the Bible says there, beginning in verse 1, The word of the Lord that came unto Hosea, the son of Beeri, in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Judah, or king of Israel. That would be the Jeroboam the second, by the way. Verse 2, The beginning of the word of the Lord by Hosea, um, And the Lord said to Hosea, Go, take unto thee a wife of whoredoms, and children of whoredoms, for the land hath committed great whoredom, departing from the Lord. So he went and took Gomer, the daughter of uh, Diblaim, uh, which conceived and bare him a son. And tonight we're going to look at the book of Hosea. The title of the study is this, The God Who is Always Faithful. The God Who is Always Faithful. Let's pray. We'll jump right in. Lord, thank you uh, tonight for your word. And Lord, how uh, timeless it is. It's, it's a book that is alive. Uh, Lord, it's a book that can speak to us. And I pray, God, that it would speak to us tonight. Lord, uh, may our ears be in tune. Lord, oftentimes a pastor will pray that you will anoint his mouth. Lord, while that is important that I say the right things, Lord, if I say the right things and it falls on deaf ears, then what does it matter? And so, Lord, I pray that you would also anoint the ears of the listeners. May the words go into the ears and down into the heart. Lord, may your word be uh, Hebrews 4.12, that two-edged sword, that divides and cuts that away from our hearts and our lives that shouldn't be there. Lord, I pray we leave here tonight more committed to be faithful to you as you are so faithful to us. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Now, a little bit of background here. Hosea lived uh, and prophesied from 785 to 725 B.C. So that would have been 700 plus years before Christ walked the earth, and he served in the northern kingdom. Last week we looked at Daniel. Daniel was part of the southern kingdom of Judah. Uh, 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 Hosea here was part of the northern kingdom of those ten tribes. And during his lifetime, the ten northern kingdoms, or the ten tribes that made up the northern kingdom, they would be carried away into captivity. He would be part of that which was carried away. Hosea was one of the last and most dramatic prophet, uh, prophets that the uh, ten northern tribes would, would ever have. And you can take the book of Hosea, you can break it down into three sections. Chapters 1, 2, and 3 is one section. Chapters 4 to 11 makes up the second grouping. And chapters 12 through 14 break up the third grouping. We'll talk about that more in a few minutes. Now, you might say, well, Pastor, what is the theme of the book? What is the theme of the book? Well, the theme of the book is God is faithful and the Israelis were not. And that was put on great display in a powerful way here in the book of Hosea. Hosea is a book, Old Testament book, that makes a strong statement about salvation and God's reconciling His creation Back to Him. Strong statement. There are great parallels in the book of Hosea to what Jesus Christ uh, did for us. Um, in the Old Testament and the New Testament, we find the, the, uh, the God used the analogy of marriage and unfaithfulness. We find it in the Old Testament and we find it in the New Testament. Now, in the Old Testament, the analogy is aimed at God's chosen people, Israel. God has 
chosen them and in a sense He was wed to them and over and over and over again, Israel played the harlot, running to worship false idols and uh, running uh, away from God. In fact, uh, in that chapter 4-11 to range, you find where they're bowing down to idols and they're praising God at the same time. And, uh, and, and Hosea is just hitting them hard with his sermons uh, for uh, their hypocrisy. Uh, nonetheless, they're playing the harlot. They're playing the uh, they're playing the whoredoms. They're they're playing the prostitute on God as God wants them to be faithful to Him, uh, but they can't be. Yet God is faithful to them. In the New Testament, you find God used the same analogy, but it isn't aimed at the children of Israel. It's aimed at those that are saved. James 4.4, 4, you're probably familiar with it. You've gone to church any length of time. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not the friendship of the world is enmity with God. Uh, whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. God says, okay, you want to run around on me? I saved you. I washed away your sins. And I put you in uh, into the, the church per se. And I'm going to present you one day as my bride in heaven. And you want to run around and play uh, the game of whoredoms? You want to run around and befriend the world? You want to flirt with the world? God uses that same analogy in the New Testament as He does in the Old Testament. Uh, the, the group of people is a little bit different, but the same truth is the same. Uh, the, the same truth applies. In both Testaments, God is jealous for the same reason. Now, I've shared this uh, before at church. I'm going to share it with you here again. Uh, during my time of, of being uh, unemployed out of the ministry a few years back, I... Um, I got a job driving a box truck delivering tires. Funny enough, I moved up here from Maryland to live in Terryville. Um, never been, never lived in Connecticut before. Uh, moved up there because a church had an apartment. They let us live there for free. And I got a job at a tire warehouse, which is a whole other story in and of itself. And I was rolling tires off the truck at Burns down here on Main Street. And that was the first time I'd ever been to Stratford. Had no idea that three years later I would be voted in to pastor in the same city I was delivering tires while after having moved back to Maryland. Uh, but during my time rolling tires off the end of the truck and uh, really just drive, doing it with a hurting heart, I took and I listened to the entire Bible on audio. I downloaded an app off the internet and the, the dramatized version of the Bible. I would digest 20 to 30 chapters a day with my earbuds in, listening to the Word of God. And if you do a lot of driving, I'd really recommend you, you do that on top of your Bible reading. That doesn't replace your Bible reading, but boy, it sure adds to it. It's a great thing to do. And I listened through the whole Bible. And i got to tell you, that gave me a brand new perspective on God's Word. I pulled out two macro applications about the Bible. The very first one I pulled out is that the Bible as a whole, the, one of the, the probably the major theme, or definitely the major theme of the Bible, is God's salvation of mankind. That's the main theme of the Bible. John 3.16 is the centric verse. All the, all the verses point to John 3.16. The ones that come before it point forward. The ones after it point back to it. That is the main theme of the Bible. But the secondary theme I found, and I think that applies tonight, is the jealousy, God's jealousy over those that have already been saved. God hates when we're not faithful with Him. Hates it. Uh, anytime you see God pouring out wrath on a group of people, it's because that group of people had so much done for them by God, and they turned their back on Him and wouldn't have anything to do with Him. Now, uh, when that happens, 
God gets really upset. God gets really upset. And we'll see tonight exactly what God did to these uh, ten northern uh, tribes, these uh, ten children of, 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 of Jacob there, Israel, that, uh, that had split during the divided kingdom. He was going to completely abolish them. And that those particular tribes would never come back together again. One day they'll be brought back together. But there was a there's a long time between when this happened in 725 BC and when Jesus Christ sets up his rule and reign in Jerusalem. God hates when we flirt with sin, and I would liken it to this exactly what it was likened to here is that listen, you are saved out of the world to get you away from that mess, and then you want to turn around and go back to it, and that doesn't make any sense because that ruins people's lives. Now, if God has saved you, then you have a, you, God, you and God have a relationship, and that relationship comes with a title. Okay, uh, for for Jacob and 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 all of the people in Israel, Jacob had his name changed to Israel for the Israelites. Okay, that title was um, "I am your God; you are my people." If you're saved tonight, then that relationship is, is, uh, is father and son, or father and daughter, right? And where there is a title, there is ownership. Now don't miss this right here, okay? My children are gonna grow up, they're eight and six years old, I'm gonna see them enter into the teen years, alright? I am, um, nervously awaiting my children being teenagers. That will be a whole new experience. And we already have rules laid out, okay? A boy looks at my daughter, I'm going to get my shotgun, and he's going to have to come answer to me. No, I'm, I'm being facetious there. Um, uh, you've seen that, that uh, acrostic dad, D-A-D-D? How many of you have seen this? Daddy's against daughters dating, right? I'm going to get a shirt that says that across there, and I'm going to wear it everywhere I go. I'm going to get bumper stickers the whole nine yards. They have this application uh, to date my daughter, and it says, please allow 30 years for processing, right? At the bottom of all the ridiculous questions, and that kind of, all that, all that funny stuff. But, uh, but titles bring about, uh, titles bring about ownership, and one of the rules that I'm going to have for my children during their teen years is you can like the opposite gender, but you can't put any titles on it. You can't put any titles on it. Now you say, well, why are you going to have that rule? Because I don't want some 15-year-old pimple-faced boy thinking he owns my daughter. I just, he doesn't. She belongs to me. She lives in my house. Now there will be a, a day and time where their titles will be fine. The point I'm making here is that God and the children of Israel and God and those that are saved, there are... Uh, there is a titled relationship there, so there is ownership there. Where there is ownership, uh, where there is ownership, there are expectations. There are expectations. When God chose Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, He was taking ownership of them. Don't miss this, because this is really key to the Bible study tonight. That ownership would bind God to some responsibilities that would in turn benefit the Israelites. But that ownership also would obligate Israel to be faithful to God. Does that make sense to you tonight? Are you all with me tonight? There was a title there that brought about ownership, and that ownership brought about responsibilities from both in, and at the very base of that relationship was being faithful to the relationship. 
What kind of relationship can you have with someone that you're exclusive with if there isn't faithfulness there? You can't have a relationship. Now, the same is true for Christians. If you, uh, if, if by grace you receive salvation and enjoy all of the blessings that God provides to those that are saved, then you must understand that because He owns you and He owns me, that we are obligated to be faithful to Him. We're obligated to it. You don't get to run over here and, 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 and treat the world like it's your playground on Monday and Tuesday and then show up at church on Wednesday and act like everything's hunky-dory and great. You don't get to watch what you want to on TV on Thursday and then show up on Sunday and have a foot in the world and a foot with God. God says, no, no, no. You love me, that means you've got to hate the world. Or you can love the world and you can hate, hate me. You can't have it both ways. Now, here in the book of Hosea, we find that for centuries... Israel had been unfaithful to God. Centuries. God was getting ready to severely punish His chosen people, but before He did, He was going to use Hosea to make a loud, strong, demonstrative point. This evening I propose that God is always faithful. Always faithful. Always. He's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. He'll always be faithful. He doesn't change. Though we wander away and flirt with the world or worldly things, God remains true and loyal to us. Aren't you glad for that tonight? Let's, we're going to jump in and look at three main principal points this evening and consider the God who is always faithful. Number one, notice this, a symbolic family. A symbolic family. If you've got a prayer bulletin there on the back, you'll find an outline with some blanks you can fill in. And I'd encourage you to do that. You can review this later in a Bible study on your own. Uh, a symbolic family. Letter A, first notice the husband, Hosea. Hosea. Look back with me at uh, verse number 1 and 2 there in Hosea. It says there, The word of the Lord that came unto Hosea, the son of uh, Beeri, in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. Those are the kings of Judah. And in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel. The beginning of the word of the Lord by Hosea. And the Lord said to Hosea, Go, take unto thee a wife of whoredoms, and the children of whoredoms, for the land hath committed great whoredom, departing from the Lord. Now, let me just quickly get this out here. Uh, for all the shallow-minded people that both might be in the room or listening online, and that is that Hosea was an exception to the rule. You don't get to go marry some loose girl because Hosea got to do it. Okay, Hosea was going to be a picture of what God wanted. And trust me, for Hosea, this was not something he wanted to go do. Hosea had lived his life uh, a very stable and, and, and in, uh, in line with what God would want. And God was saying, okay, Hosea, your character is up here. I want you to go marry a girl whose character is down here. I'm going to use you as an object illustration. I've stated in here over the last several weeks that I am so glad that God, I'm a New Testament preacher, not an Old Testament prophet. Okay? We looked at how Isaiah walked around in his birthday suit for three years because God had told him to do that. We talked about how Ezekiel had to sleep on his left side for over a year. And then he had to eat his food cooked over cow dung. And then he had to roll over on his right side and sleep there for 40 days. And eat his food the same way. Uh, and now God's telling Hosea to marry a prostitute. i got to say, I'm glad I'm a New Testament preacher, not an Old Testament prophet. But Hosea was going to do this because God was going to make a very powerful, powerful statement, both to Israel, 
but enlarged to you and I. And this message of salvation and restoration even applies down to day. Uh, letter A, uh, husband, Hosea. Letter B, wife, notice Gomer. Gomer, look at verse 3. So he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Diblaim, uh, which conceived and bare him a son. So he says, go on down to the, the street corner on the wrong side of town where the bad girls hang out and pick you one of them to marry and get them to marry you and marry a girl that is of the whoredoms or a girl that is a prostitute. And that's who I want you to marry. I'm going to make a larger point here. So he goes down and he chooses Gomer. Now, let me say here quickly before we move on to letter C. Um, just like Gomer was well below Hosea's character level before he married her, Israel was well below God's level when he chose them. God looked at fallen Abraham and fallen Isaac and fallen Jacob, and he chose, he chose to enter into a union with them when their character level was well below where his was. Obviously, God's is impeccable. Hosea, uh, we see a parallel here. Hosea picked a girl whose character level was well below his, and God picked Israel whose character level was well below his. And let me just say this here. You and I were well below God's level when He saved us. Well below His level. Um, God did not pick you because you were attractive. Some people think they're going to make it to heaven because, well, look at me. I am the cat's meow. Whatever phrase you want to throw out there, right? So many people that think, yeah, you know, God, God's lucky that He saved me. Boy, God's lucky that I volunteer at the church. Because if I didn't volunteer at the church, look at all that stuff, it wouldn't get done. And i got to say, as, as unattractive as Gomer must have been to Hosea, we are equally unattractive to a holy God. God lays His righteousness down on top of us. That's the only thing that's attractive about us. God told Hosea, He said, go down and marry a girl of the whoredoms. And He chose Gomer. Let her see. We'll look at their children. Their children. I'm going to give you the three children that they had. The first one were born, and God told them what to name these kids. Uh, the first one was Jezreel. Jezreel. Now, wouldn't you like if the pastor got to tell you what to name your kids? Yeah, I'd tell you name of Bubba and all kinds of stuff, right? I'm, a, I'm from the south. I grew up down there. I know some good names for you. But Jezreel. Jezreel means God scatters. God scatters. How would you like that for a name? Hey, God scatters. Um, that's not like Skyler or any of these modern names. This was a, a name out of the norm, but it wasn't trendy. No one was going, oh, man. What a great idea. I'm going to go with that one. He threw all three of them up at the same time on me. I told him not to do that. These assistant pastors don't listen to me. Um, the second one was Lo Ruhama. Lo Ruhama meaning not loved. How would you like that for a name? Hey, not loved. Now, in chapter 2, Hosea will refer to Lo Ruhama and uh, Lo Ami as Ruhama and Ami, meaning loved and my people. Okay, so they dropped the low. The low means not. And he would call them Ruhama and Ami, but their real name was not loved and not my people. I've always wondered this, and there's no way to know this. Was Lo Ami a child of another man? 
Is it possible that the whoredoms, the running back into the harlotry began through some unfaithfulness and Lo-Ami was conceived from somewhere else? We don't know that. The Bible doesn't say one way or the other. I've read the book of Hosea several times this week in preparation for this. We don't know that. But nonetheless, God was trying to send a message to Israel through the union of uh, Hosea and Gomer. And here's what he was trying to communicate. Uh, Israel, because of your unfaithfulness to me, I'm going to scatter you. You're going to be taken Captive. By the way, if you want to choose sin, it always captivates. The second thing that he was trying to communicate through the daughter of Lo-Ruhamah is, I'm going to cease loving you. There will be no more love in this relationship. Israel, I'm going to fall out of love with you for a very long time. Sin brings about death, right? We all know the verse, when lust hath conceived to bring forth sin... When sin is finished, bringing forth death. Now, uh, when I was a young Christian, I would read that verse, and I would think what most of you probably think, or at least at one time thought, and I would think of a casket with a body in it. But that word death doesn't just mean physical death. That word death means separation. You know what lust does? It separates people from money. You know what lust does? It separates relationships. You know what lust and sin do? Uh, uh, they cut off and they hurt and they spoil and they separate uh, all kinds of things out of our hearts and lives. And here he was saying, uh, I'm going to stop loving you because of your sin. Our relationship is over for a very long time. And we'll see uh, toward the end of the Bible study here that God would promise a time of loving them again. But for thousands of years, God would fall out of love with these ten tribes. Lo-Ami means not my people. That third child was born. And uh, you can go back later uh, uh, on your own and you can look at those passages, uh, Hosea chapter 1, and see where God tells them these things. Okay, we've got more to cover tonight, so I'm not going to read those. But Hosea chapter 1, verse 4 down through 11, you find there God telling them what to name the kids. Not my people. I'm going to cease to take possession of you. There will be no more ownership. There will be no more title. The title and ownership and expectations are over, are over. This was a prophetic message of what was going to happen in short order to them. Now, after that third child was born, Gomer would leave harlotry to be uh, Jose's husband, but would return to it after uh, they had born the three children. So uh, he would go down, he would find Gomer, who was already living in whoredoms, he would bring her in and he would marry her. And for a short time, they would have a marriage that was functioning. After that third child was born, she would leave and she would go back into the world of being a harlot and run from him. And we find in chapter 2, we find a... A, a, a double meaning passage here where both Hosea is talking to his children about their mother, but uh, this is also God talking to Israel about his relationship with them. Look down at chapter 2 and verse 1. Say ye unto your brethren, Ami, and to your sisters, Ruhama, uh, Ru, Ru, this is the, remember I told you that he would drop the low off, he just called them a short name or a sort of a nickname. Plead with your mother, plead. For she is not my wife. You see the cutting off of the title. The cutting off of the ownership, the expectations. She is not my wife, neither am I her husband. 
Let her therefore put away her whoredoms out of her sight and her adulteries from between her breasts, lest I strip her naked and set her as in the day that she was born and make her as a wilderness and set her like a dry land and slay her with thirst. I would say Hosea was pretty upset. He was pretty worked up. And wouldn't you be if you found out that you had gone in and you had redeemed this gal from living a nasty life and loved her with all your heart and tried to make the best of it and she left you and ran right back into it. Verse 3 there. Uh, rather, verse 4. And I will have, I will not have mercy upon her children for they be the children of whoredoms. And these, these weren't their three kids. This would be her being impregnated by other people. Verse 5. For their mother hath played the harlot, she that conceived them hath done shamefully, for she said, I will go after my lovers that give me my bread and my water, my wool and my flax, mine oil and my drink. So she was chasing what they would be able to buy her. These men promised her all of this, all of this luxurious lifestyle. She was willing to trade in her body and pleasures for them in order to get those things and enjoy those things. So we see here that this is a symbolic family. Just like Gomer was running around on Hosea, Israel had been running around on God. And God was going to strip them figuratively naked and set them as a wilderness. And we'll see that in a few minutes. Number two, notice God's stubborn love. God's stubborn love. Now, here's the story. Gomer leaves and leaves Hosea behind with her three kids. I've heard this taught two ways. I've heard that she left him, but I've also heard that he kicked her out. I don't know which it is. Let me just say this quickly here, is that I do believe that a marriage can reach a point where God is okay with separation. Now, God's perfect will is never divorce. But you say, listen, I'm a wife and I'm being abused, or my wife is being really unfaithful and really unreasonable in it. Pastor, what should I do? Well, come and talk to me privately. Each situation is different. There is a time and place where separation, separation is allowed by God. And this is an example of that. Gomer left. Gomer was either kicked out or she left. She went to live with her lovers. She went to live that lifestyle, and what ended up happening is that she fell into the sex slave industry. She became a slave, a sexual slave, through her own doings, and probably through the process of of being traded around and being bought by men for favors, and uh, probably some guy, the modern day word would be pimp, some pimp probably sold her out to other people, and the day came where she was put up on a block and sold like a piece of meat as an object. And at that time, when, when Gomer had reached the bottom, Gomer had no one else to turn from. God then instructed Hosea, look at chapter 3 and verse 1, and remember all of this is a parallel of God and His love for His his people. Look at verse 1. Then said the Lord unto me, Go yet. Now let me pause there. I'm going to pause a few times here. You know what God was telling Hosea here? He was saying, I want you to go find her. I want you to go find her. Can you imagine what that journey must have been like? I want you to go to the part of town that a preacher doesn't belong in. I want you to go to the part of town where you feel unsafe. 
I want you to go seek her out. Go figure out where she is. Go follow the trail of clues of where she went, the last thing you knew of where she was, and ask questions and seek her and look for her and go and find her. And you might have to have some unpleasant conversations. You might have to get your hands dirty. You might have to see some things and experience some things that you don't like. But go find your wife. Go find her. I think about Jesus who... God looked down and He said, I loved them. They were ugly and they were sinful and I loved them. I already owned them and I want them back. And He looked at Jesus and He said, Go. Go yet. Jesus left heaven and He came down to earth and Jesus left His throne. Jesus left His palace. Jesus left angels singing His praises. Jesus left behind all of the riches and the glamour of heaven. And He clothed Himself as a peasant man, a homeless peasant man. And He walked amongst corrupt, sinful man. Why? Because He was seeking out His bride. He was seeking for that which He loved. Just like Hosea sought out Gomer was commanded to do so, God sought us out. Look back at verse number 1 there of chapter 3. Then said the Lord unto me, Go yet, love a woman, love a woman, beloved of her friend. I want you to go back and love that woman who's been unfaithful to you so many times. I want you to go back and love her anyway. And I'm trying to point out for you here the parallels uh, between uh, uh, how uh, uh, Hosea loved Gomer and how God loved us. Hosea loved Gomer even when she was unfaithful. You know, God looked down at mankind and He said, I'm going to love them anyway, even though they are unfaithful to me over and over again. Go, yet, love a woman, verse 1, be loved of her friend, yet an adulteress. According to the love of the Lord toward the children of Israel who look to other gods and love flagons of wine. Verse 2, So I bought her to me for 15 pieces of silver and for an homer of barley and a half homer of barley. I can imagine that maybe Hosea makes his way into this selling block where these filthy, disgusting men who are very sensual and sexual in nature, they're standing there and these women are being brought up one at a time and being sold as objects, being sold as just a piece of flesh, a piece of meat. And these lustful men are looking up at the beauty of a woman and they're bidding, they're gambling over, rather they're putting out for this woman and just like you would in an auction, they're auctioning off and they're going to the highest bidder and Hosea steps up and Gomer is brought out next. And someone says, alright, here's Gomer and the bidding begins. And Hosea steps out in the crowd and he offers for his wife an amount no one else would even come close to being willing to pay. He bought her back. He bought her back. You know, God looked down at us, fallen man, and He said, I already own them. I made them. They're mine. God looked down at earth and said, what do I got to do to get you back? And Satan said, no, no, no. I've tripped them up by sin. They're not in the sex slave industry. They're in the sin slave industry. And they belong to me. 
And if you want them back, it's going to cost you something. God said, okay, alright. Jesus, I want you to go down to earth and I want you to seek them out. And I want you to be willing to shed your blood on the cross to buy them back. To buy them back. How stubborn is God's love? Oh, man. I'm thankful for a good, godly wife who's faithful to me. I've never, ever, ever had any inclination that Angel's ever been even close to unfaithful. I'm very thankful for that. But I'm trying to imagine as a man who loves my wife as much as I do, how bad it would hurt to catch my wife in an affair. And then to catch her in a second one. And then a third one and a fourth one. And if God were to look down at me and say, keep on loving her. God just keeps on loving His people no matter how unfaithful they are to Him. Verse number 3, And I said unto her, Thou shalt abide for me many days. Thou shalt not play the harlot, and thou shalt not be for another man. So will I also be for thee. Can you imagine Gomer? I, I Picture this in your head. Can you imagine how Gomer must have felt when Hosea pushed his way through the crowd and looked up at that auctioneer and said, I'll give you this and I'll give you this and I'll, I'll even add this to it. And, and he goes, okay, well, well, does anybody want to top that? And everyone's going, no. And he walks up there and while everyone else bought her to take advantage of her, he bought her back to heal her. And he walked up And oh, how ashamed she must have felt. How low she must have felt. And he walked up and he took her by the hand. And instead of raping her and taking advantage of her, he took her home and he helped her to heal. He took her home and he looked her in the eye and said, I've never stopped loving you. And I want to be faithful to you, and I want you to be faithful to me forever. Does that maybe put in perspective just a little bit why Paul said that we're not to take advantage of the grace of God? Just a little bit. Paul said, should we take advantage of the grace of God? God forbid. And I'm paraphrasing the verse. Let me throw a neat little nugget out here for you. The name Hosea, you know what it means? It means salvation. His name means salvation. What a beautiful picture of salvation. What a beautiful picture of salvation. God switches in Hosea chapter 3 verse 4 from, rather Hosea switches from talking about his relationship with Gomer to him talking about God's relationship with Israel and the, the what would be coming in, in short order for them. Verse 4, For the children of Israel shall abide many days without a king and without a prince and without a sacrifice and without an image, without an ephod and without uh, teraphim, speaking of the Assyrians coming in and taking them out. Verse 5, Afterwards shall the children of Israel return and seek the Lord their God and David their king and shall fear the Lord and His goodness in the latter days. Now, what is that talking about? What is verse 5 talking about? Look at it again with me. Afterward shall the children of Israel return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. So whoever this is will be of the lineage of David and shall fear the Lord and His goodness in the latter days. Now, in the Old Testament, people feared the Lord out of terror. 
But in this time, they won't fear the Lord out of terror. They will fear the Lord out of all as Jesus sits on the throne and He rules the world from Jerusalem. This is talking about the millennial reign of Christ. Number three, we see our spiritual restoration. Our spiritual restoration. Chapters 4-14 through 14 are a collection of various sermons that Hosea preached over about a period of 25 years. And these sermons contain accusations and warnings for the nation of Israel. Look at chapter 4, verse 1 with me. Chapter 4, verse 1, real quick. The Bible says there, Hear the word of the Lord, ye children of Israel. For the Lord hath a controversy with the inhabitants of the land, because... And here's why. Here's why God has a controversy with the inhabitants. Look here. There is no truth, nor mercy, nor knowledge of God in the land. Okay? So, there's an absence of truth. Right? Every man's doing that which is right in their own eyes. There's no mercy. People aren't being merciful to each other. You can't really show the mercy of God to others if you're not walking with God. Right? We talked about pride and humility on Sunday night. And we talked about how you can't know and have humility if you're not truly walking with God. Well, you can't know and give out the mercy of God if you're not walking with God either. But beyond that, here's the larger point I want to pull out. Look here. Nor knowledge of God in the land. Now, um, did they know God factually? I'd say probably. Probably. They knew God factually. They had to have. Well, that was just what was handed down to them in their history books. And But did they know Him intimately? They did not. They did not. You know, I know who Michael Jordan is. I was a big fan growing up. Big, big fan. I was a, a child in the 90s, and I watched all six championships. My dad was a big Bulls fan back then, and I, he let me stay up late at night. And I could tell you all kinds of things about Michael Jordan. But do you know that I don't really know Michael Jordan? I don't know him. I know about him, but I don't know him. And you know why Israel lacked... Don't look. Please don't miss this here tonight. You know why Israel lacked an ability to stay faithful to God? They knew about Him, but they didn't know Him. They weren't intimately walking with Him. There was no intimacy between the Israelites and God. And how frustrating that must have been for God as He's daily pouring down His benefits and His blessings on them. And He knows every detail about them, but He can't know them well because they're keeping Him at a distance. Now, tonight I would say this, that if you are running from the Lord, please, please hear me here. Your relationship with God is not good and you're more in love with the world than you are with God. First, understand the gravity of that. Understand how much God hates that. Understand what He did to Israel over it. He abolished them. He disowned them as a people. And God's not going to disown you as, as, as a saved person, but He, he did that to them in, in the Old Testament. And it just shows us how much God hates that. What should you do if you've been running from the Lord? Get to know Him again. Say, how do I do that? Get up tomorrow morning and pick up your Bible and read it. Get down on your knees and pray. You know what I'm convinced is that where there are schisms and problems in your heart and life, it, it really is that your walk with God's not deep enough. You need to get to know the Lord better. Uh, Hosea chapter 6 verse 6, which is up on the screen. Turn over there and it, it uh, continues that thought. It says there, 
For I desired mercy and not sacrifice, and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. Mercy, more important than sacrifice. The Israelites were offering the offerings as they had been commanded in Leviticus. Oh, but there was no mercy there. It was them, it was just a ritual. In fact, I believe it was the book of Isaiah that says that I hate your oblations. I hate your offerings. I can't stand your sacrifices because you're ritualistically doing the right things, but there's no mercy there. Pastor, I go to church. Great. Is there mercy in your life? But pastor, I I, I tithe. Great. Uh, You're going through the rituals of being a good Christian, but are are you doing the things with Christ that involve walking with Him? The knowledge of God in the land. There was no intimate, personal relationship with God. And that's why the people would hear the sermon of Hosea and scoff it and turn from it. Look at chapter 10, verse 12, and here's another really key verse on this idea of spiritual restoration. It says there, Sow to yourself in righteousness. Reap in mercy. Break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord till He come and rain righteousness upon you. Wow! What a great verse. If you're memorizing verses, I would really recommend you memorize that. If you want to know which verse your pastor's working on memorizing, it's that one right there. That is a powerful verse. Sow to yourself in righteousness. Reap in mercy, break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord till He come and rain righteousness upon you. Now let's, let's dissect the verse here, if we could. Uh, the old adage, you reap what you sow, right? Right? And so if you're sowing iniquity, you're going to reap iniquity. But it says there, if you sow righteousness, you're going to reap mercy. Amen. Someone got a phone call there. Um, uh, so, if you sow righteousness, you're going to reap mercy. Now, why was there a lack of mercy in the country? Because there was a lack of righteousness. Alright. Hear me on this. Are you sharp and coarse and curt and rude to people in your life? That's a good sign that you're not sowing in Righteousness. Is your life filled with grace and kindness and caring about everyone around you? Then you're reaping in mercy. You sow in righteousness. You put down the seeds of righteousness. What comes up from that? Mercy. Mercy. Now look at the rest of the verse. Break up your fallow ground. You know what that is? That's a cold heart. Now, how do you do that? I wrote some things down here. You break up your fallow ground or you change your routine. You change your routine. Some of you say, well, Pastor, I read my Bible and I pray, but, you know, it's, it's kind of gotten old and, and crusty. Break up your fallow ground. Change up your reading routine and your schedule. Change up your, your old, tired prayer list and make that not just a spiritual, religious uh, ritual, but where you're actually spending time with a holy God. What does that mean to break up your fallow ground? Break away from complacency. Put yourself out there and do something for the Lord that, uh, that, that stretches you a little bit. Break up your fallow ground. What does that mean? It means to tear away the sin that's in your life. Just reach down deep and get hold of a sin that's had a grip on you for a long time and just rip it out and say, God, I'm digging in deep and I'm giving in hard and I'm going to rip out this sin so that the soil of my heart can be that much much more rich. 
Notice there it says that you're to seek the Lord. How do you break up the fallow ground? Ultimately, you do it by seeking the Lord. You seek the Lord. How do you seek the Lord? I would say this, you seek the Lord like Hosea sought Gomer. Now, God is not Gomer, so don't take that away from that. But Hosea had to inconvenience himself to go find Gomer. You're going to have to inconvenience yourself to find God. You know what seeking the Lord entails? Let me show you what it doesn't entail. Lord, if you're up there, would you hear my prayers? All right. Here's what seeking the Lord doesn't entail. Dear Lord, I'm sorry I did wrong. Please bless me and give me a good day. Amen. That's not seeking the Lord. Seeking the Lord is getting down on your face for 15, 20, 30 minutes, an hour, until your heart is broken. Tom Malone uh, said this, he said, I read my Bible till my heart burns. Till my heart burns. That's seeking the Lord. That's seeking the Lord. And guess what the Bible says will happen when you seek the Lord? I love this right here. This is so beautiful. It says that He will come and rain righteousness upon you. How do you get a crop? Well, you need rain, don't you? You need rain. And God will rain down righteousness upon you. Really quick, Hebrews chapter, or rather, Hosea chapter 14. Look at me at verse number 1 and 2. Talking about spiritual restoration. O Israel, return. Return unto the Lord thy God. For some of you tonight, it might just be that you turn away from your sin and you return to God. Look, um, God's not moving. God hasn't moved. He's still in the same place. He's still being faithful to the vowels of your relationship. He's waiting for you to return. It says, Therefore thou hast fallen by thine iniquity. Take with your words and turn to the Lord. Say unto Him, Take away all iniquity and receive us graciously. So we will render the calves of our lips. Take away all iniquity and receive us graciously. You say, well, pastor, that's all fine and good, but Hebrews was written to the Israelites and it doesn't really apply to us. Oh, really? Look down at verse 9 of chapter 14. shows us that, no, this is a fluid thought that applies to us today. Who is wise and he shall understand these things? Prudent. And he shall know them, for the ways of the Lord are right. And the just shall walk in them, but the transgressor shall fall therein. Who is wise? And he shall understand these things. These are timeless truths that apply across all dispensations. You say, Pastor, how do I know if I haven't been faithful to God? Here's a good parameter for you. Listen to this. If someone tries to bring up spiritual things and the conversation just dies real quick, then you probably are away from the Lord. It's been a long time since you've had a walk with the Lord. You're probably away from the Lord. If, um, if you don't find yourself having regular Bible conversations with other people, then you're, you're not sowing seeds of righteousness. And it's time to get back to being faithful to God. What excites you? What do you, what do you want to rush home for? Is it to turn on the TV and watch whatever? What kind of song is on your lips? Is it Taylor Swift? Or is it some song you've been hearing at church? Or some Christian song that you have found that has infectiously uh, taken over your thoughts and causes you to drop on your knees and worship God? Are you being faithful to the Lord? Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed tonight. Lord, I'm just so thankful that God is faithful to us.